Today, I want to start our brand new Christmas series. Uh, we kind of started it last week with Jingle All the Way, but I want to continue it today uh, called Again. And this is just a series born out of the idea that there are some things that maybe we've lost sight of throughout the year. There's some things that maybe we let go of in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all these things that have happened to us this year that I want to just kind of remind us of. I just want to kind of bring back to our remembrance things that we need to begin to do again. We need to love again. We need to begin to live again. We need to begin to to worship again. We need to do all these things. And so this series for Christmas is just called Again. So you can grab out your Bible and your message notes if you've got them with you. If you've forgotten already, we take notes here at Victory because we believe that God is going to speak to us. And so we jot some of those things down and then reference them uh, on our spiritual journey. Because if you've been at Victory for any length of time, uh, you've heard me say that we exist to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's who we are as a church, that we would always be growing spiritually. We would always be remembering the things we should do spiritually and that you would never reach a place in your journey, in your spiritual journey, where you would stagnate. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how short you've been a Christian. I just believe that you should never reach a point where you kind of plateau, where you just stop growing spiritually, where you stagnate in your faith. But we also want to reach others. We also want to be a catalyst for the gospel to go into the world. That's why here at Victory, we have series like at the movies. It's why we have times like Serve Day where we reach out and love our community. Uh, It's why we have these different opportunities. And then in December, we always ramp up our generosity to others. We always like to show the love of Christ all throughout the year, but especially in December. And so I just want to draw your attention to these things we have, these little cards that are in the foyer. uh, And they're called our God Loves You Cards. And you can grab a whole handful of them. They're right outside by the water bottles as you leave today. But it's just an opportunity to spread the love of Christ to others, to be generous to those in our world where you can pay for somebody's Starbucks behind you. Come on, somebody. You can do an act of kindness and then you can attach it with a message of faith where we can tell them. And it just says just something extra to show you that God loves you. And then the back says, and so do we. It's just an opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And let me tell you what these are not. Don't just go littering these out to everybody. Attach it to an act of kindness, all right? Don't just be like throwing this in the phone booth or just in somebody's car as they go by, right? Attach this to something as we become the hands and feet of Christ and then attach it so that when others see your good works, they don't glorify you. They don't glorify the church that you go to. They glorify your Father in heaven. That we can do that this Christmas season. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go uh, this morning. Because there's an opportunity, I believe, for every single one of us to be generous to those in the world around us. There's an opportunity for us to love others. It's actually what I want to talk to you about today as we start this again series. Because I believe the call of God is on our life, every single one of us, to serve. Every single one of us to love others, even in December, even at Christmas time. It's our chance to serve other people, not to buy all the presents for ourselves, not to right, eat all the food ourselves. Come on, somebody. But it's our opportunity to love others. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles. You can turn there if you brought your Bibles with you. If not, we have it on the screen. But come on, they made it in a paperback, everybody. So if you have them, pull them out. Luke 10, we're going to talk about a story, a very famous, famous story in the Bible that's actually about somebody serving and loving someone else. It's called the Good Samaritan. And the reality is Jesus was kind of in this conversation with the religious leaders of the day, talking about who is my neighbor and what am I supposed to do to the world around me? How am I supposed to treat other people? And even if I'm supposed to treat them well, who is that person that I'm supposed to treat 
well. And so as we look at the story today, you're going to find several responses that Jesus outlines in this story. Several responses to the guy who's actually mugged. There's the main character, right? He gets beaten up and all his stuff taken. And so there's responses to him that I want to look at. But then I also want to dive in practically what that means to love the world around us. What that means to do that. that thing. And I want to start with this thought before we jump into the story. And that is how we respond to the people around us reveals the condition of our soul. How we respond to the people God has brought into our lives reveals the condition of our soul. So if you're at the end of the year trying to gauge, man, am I growing spiritually? Man, have I, have I grown this year or did I lose a lot of things in 2020? What, am I actually still growing in my faith in Christ? If you want to gauge that, really how good you're doing spiritually can be revealed by how you're treating the people that God has sent you. The people that come across in your world. Because isn't it true when you feel at peace in your soul, when you had your devotion time, when you really feel at peace and you're in worship and you're just in love with the Lord, isn't it true that you treat people kindly? That your life is kind of, you're, you're kind of going along, the fruits of the Spirit are evident in your life, your goodness and patience and you're, you're kind of all of those things. But let's be honest with each other. When we're tired and we're a little bit frustrated, when we feel a little bit depleted and we feel maybe taken advantage of or things aren't that or we didn't get our devotion time right or we didn't get our coffee. I found that's very spiritual for some people. We didn't get those things. Isn't it true? Right. You yell at the kids. You kick the dog. All these things. You're not a very good Christian. The fruits of the spirit are long gone when we're in that position. So how we're treating the people in our life. So as we examine the story, I want you to think about how you're seeing and how you're treating the people that God has sent you. The people in your world. And it's getting a little quiet in here. So we're going to start because Jesus defines three different groups and responses. And then we're going to take the rest of the time talking about what that means for us. So let's jump in verse 30. All right. Jesus is telling the story. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And so I know a lot of you, you've seen the flannel graph, you've heard this story many, many times, but I just want to kind of fill in some puzzle pieces for you as we go along. We learned right back in October, if you could remember, there was such a thing as October. Back in October, we learned with the story of Zacchaeus what it means by going down to Jericho. Because Jerusalem was such a high point in that plateau or in that area, this place. And so going down to Jericho meant going 4,000 feet down in elevation. And so Jericho was actually in the northeast. And so this descent that they would take, because Jerusalem is one of the highest cities in the world in relationship to sea level, Jericho is the lowest spot in the world. So 4,000 foot descent they would take, and it's about 18 to 20 miles between the cities. But it was a winding kind of dangerous path that they would have to take. And so all the places that they would have to walk through had these places robbers could hide. It was this place known for ambushes. And so the Jewish people Jesus is talking to would have understood this story, that this is a dangerous road this man is taking. In fact, they called it the trail of blood because of the blood stains on the walls of the cave where they would walk because so many people had died on this road. And so this man is walking through in Jericho. And so this story is common to them. And so the first group of people we meet, he was attacked by the robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half Dead, all right? And the first group of people, the first perspective that we're going to look at today is that of the robbers, the way that they saw him. And jot it down if you're taking notes today. They saw him as a victim to exploit, a victim that they could exploit. Now, hopefully, all of us in church today, hopefully, all of us watching online, all of us who call ourselves Christ followers, you don't see people as, hey, I think I could beat them up and take their lunch money. I think that that person is an easy target. I think a lot of us probably would not put ourselves into this category or think of ourselves through this perspective. 
But the truth is, it's easy for us to look at other people's giftings and other people's blessings and connections and relationships and think, I can get something out of them. It's easy for us to see other people through this lens. If I just manage this relationship right, if I just work it, if I just network it right, then I can benefit my own life. And that person, that, that connected person or that, that respected person or whoever it is, if I, can just, if I can just manipulate the relationship enough, they could be a victim that I could exploit, that I could benefit the things that I want to do. And sometimes we slip into seeing people through this lens, through the lens of the robber. It's a person I can take advantage of and they're kind of oblivious to it. And so I think I could just really benefit myself. And to be honest with you, I think this is why people burn out so much on religion. Because this is religion's perspective. Religion looks and says, if we can just group a bunch of people together, then they can help us fulfill our vision. If we can just get some people together, we can exploit them and manipulate them. And they can just be like that. We can just use them because we've got a great vision and we've got a great thing we want to accomplish. And so we're just going to kind of maneuver them and move them around. How can we manipulate them to make our plan come to pass? And that's opposite of Jesus's plan for Christianity. That's opposite. Jesus didn't come and select high caliber people so they could make him look great. He didn't come and just select people that their gifts, they could use them just to make him great. No, Jesus is great all by himself. All right, everybody understand that. He's great all by himself. He doesn't need to select the highest and the greatest to make him look great somehow. He's great. But the fact that he puts people back together, broken people, the fact that he uses the least likely of society, it's incidentally why we do church a little bit differently. It's why we do church here at Victory a little bit differently. See, I'm not up here every week saying, well, you need to serve in this ministry. And you guys, you have to do this this week or you're just a bad Christian. If you don't do this or if you don't do that, if you just don't do that, you're a horrible. No, we don't do that. We ask, what has God placed in your heart? What is the purpose of your heart? This entire year, the theme throughout all of the messages that we've been kind of weaving in is what does God want you to do? What does God have a purpose and a vision for your life? Because we come alongside of you. You're not a pawn to be exploited. You're not this, this thing, this, this thing to be plugged into a church's vision. Or no, no, the church exists to help you to do the thing God has called you to do. You are the church. You are the ones God has called. And so however we can equip you, however we can do that to advance the mission and the vision. So victory's here to victory's here basically to encourage, to equip. To prepare you for what God has called you to do. But it's very easy for us, unfortunately, to see Christians, to see people and to think, what can I get from them? What can I get from them? That's the first group. All right, then he goes on in verse 31 to the second group of people. All right, and so a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest and the Levite represent for us what would have been the religious crowd, all right? They would have been the Christians of the day, uh, if there were that. If you will, the law followers, they decided they would pass by and try to figure out how can we avoid this person. It's pretty interesting that we find the people that should have been the most likely to respond to be the ones that tried to avoid him. Because all they saw was a problem to avoid. All of they saw, when they saw the man, they looked at him, they didn't see anything but a problem that they needed to avoid. So they walked by on the other side of the road. They didn't necessarily see a victim to exploit. They didn't see someone that they could take advantage of. But to them, they saw a problem. This is a problem. And let me tell you why. The priest is the spiritualized character of the story. 
the priest and the Levite, because in their profession, they would not have been allowed to enter the temple if they touched someone with an open wound. And so they would not have been allowed, they would have been temporarily disqualified from their job or from the thing that they were supposed to do at the temple if they helped this man. And so because the priest was a Levite, so all priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. You can work that out on the back of your notes later on. But all priests were Levites. And so because the priest was the one who would serve in the presence of God, and then the Levite was the one who would just make sure everything else was clean. And so they were the ones... They were the ones that would serve outside the temple and just clean everything up. And neither one could do their job if they stopped to help this man. And so they spiritualized it. Well, I can't do my thing. I can't do what God's called me to do if I stop and I help this person. I've got a, a really high calling I need to go and do. And so this is just a problem to avoid. This is something I just can't take time for. Because look at how messy their life is. And we do this as Christians, right? We see people and we think, well, look at the problem that they're experiencing. Look how messy it is. I can't get wrapped up in all that. I can't be seen with a person like that. Because then they might not let me lead at the church. And they might not let me, right? They might not let me use my giftings and my calling. They might not do that if they see me helping a person like that. And we do this so often in their thing. And we think I can't be seen as their friend. I want to remind you that Jesus destroyed his reputation. It didn't care at all about it. Didn't care at all what people said. And they would come and say he's a a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they meant it in the worst possible way. And he didn't care about all those things, about what people thought. But so many times we get to the place, we see people and we think, oh, I can't can't get caught up in that. We see people who are hurting. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like sometimes you see somebody or you have someone at work that you know is in a dark place. Or maybe somebody that used to be in a past small group with you and you know that they're hurting and they're going through a bit of a bad or a rough spot. And they might be a little bit of a talker. Come on, somebody, you know that they just might be. And so here's the scenario. Maybe you're out getting your groceries at Walmart or you're picking up something for dinner at Oak Point. And you have that moment where you see them. And you feel like maybe they haven't seen you. Come on, somebody, right? You just have that, that split moment. And what do you do? You have it like you got your kids like, oh, we got it. We're like, you're turning this way. And you're like, just, just come on, kids, we're going to go down this aisle, right? We're just going to go down. Come on, don't be so holy in church today. And your kid's like, Mom, isn't that Mary from small group? You're like, shut up or you die, kid, right? Like, we're getting, right? We're just, come on, don't be. All of us have done this. Come on, don't be. All of us have done that. Like, we're going through the self-checkout. Come on, we just got We got what we need. We got to get out of it. We've seen that. All of us have done those things. Like, whoa, like I can, because as sad as it is, as sad as it is, we've all had moments where we know they're hurting But I don't have time to get trapped up in that. I know that they're going through something, but I just don't have the time. There's a problem that I have to avoid. And I believe the Lord is convicting me today, as I think he's convicting all of you, about having this perspective of people. That they would just be a problem to avoid because he's actually called us to make a difference in other people's lives. He's called us to make a difference. And along comes the third perspective, the Samaritan. As he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him... He took pity on him. Now, Jesus would have been confronting a lot of different perspectives and stereotypes in the Jewish culture. And maybe some of them, you know, and maybe some of them you don't, because what he should have told this story to the crowd, if he really wanted to get a good response, is it should have been the robbers, the priest and the Levite, the mud man, and then the Jewish man coming to the rescue because he was talking to Jewish people. That should have been the story that he told. But no, no, he, he told that now the Samaritan shows up. And to the Jews, this would have been the most 
hated possible hero Jesus could have plugged into the story. Because the story of the Samaritans and the Jews, it's this bloody conflict, this long history between them. Because they were actually Jewish people, but they were the ones that broke apart and added idolatry and other things to their worship. And they married into other countries around. And so the Jewish people felt that they had diluted God's lineage. And so they felt like they had gone too far, which is a little ironic because the Jewish people also added idolatry and things in. It's kind of like when church people pointed to others and they're like, the sinner. They're just a bunch of sinners, right? Come on, somebody. You know we do that. And we just don't see, right, the, the log in our own eye. We point out the speck. But they felt like they were just the, the lowest of the low, the half-breeds. And, this, and they would call them the most hated names. And so you didn't even talk about the Samaritans. That's why you see in the Old Testament Testament where Samaria splits from Israel and then you have Judah, the tribe that's in charge of Jerusalem. And there's bloody conflicts between them where people die and they have wars and things. The Samaritans set up their own temple that God had not blessed and said, well, we can serve Yahweh here. And they include all these things. And so when the Jews would hear that, it was this moment of you can't can't believe the Samaritans going to be the hero. And so Jesus brings this story, the worst of the worst, these idolatrous people that they think. But the Samaritan, he says, sees him and he sees what I believe, this third perspective, what God sees. And that is a person to be loved. Not a a person to be exploited, not a problem to be avoided, but a person to be loved. It's actually a person. And in this culture, in today's culture, we would say a person for whom Christ died. This is how we should see people. This is how we should see them. An individual God cares about. I'm telling you, this is the perspective God has for a hurting world. This is the perspective. And I think God has called us to be like the good Samaritan involved in their life. What would that look like for us? Like, what would it take for us to be the good Samaritan? I want to give you three things right out of the text before we close today. The Samaritan, watch this, the first one. As he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, when he saw him. If you're taking notes, jot it down. The first thing we need to do is we need to be perceptive. We have to be perceptive. We have to actually see the people in our world. We have to see the people. I'm willing to wager that every one of us, every single one of us, every day of our lives come across people who are hurting. We have to begin to see. And we have to see below the surface because you notice in the story, right? The priest saw the man. The Levites saw. You better believe the robbers saw him coming. But we have to be able to see deeper to actually see the pain beneath the surface. Because if you don't see it, you can't do anything about it. If you don't see it, you can't respond to it. And so the question would be, why don't we see it? Why why do we see through the lens of the robber or the lens of the priest, but we never really see through the lens of the Samaritan? Why can't we see? If there's so many people who are hurting, why don't we see it? We touched on this a little bit last week, the reason why we don't see it. But there was a study done at Princeton Theological Seminary in the 1970s, and they figured it out. They figured out why we don't see like the the Samaritan does in the story. And so they did a little social study on seminary students, and they decided to pull out 67 seminary students. And they brought them to a certain building on campus over the period of three days. And they had them fill out a questionnaire about the story of the Good Samaritan. And then they sent them across the campus to another building. And they said, when you arrive, you're going to give a short speech on the Good Samaritan. And so they told them that. And so the seminary students, they thought that, well, that's the test. That's the requirement. But it wasn't. It was actually a setup. Halfway to the other building, they had an actor on the ground, rolling around, coughing, bleeding. 
asking for help that the seminary students would have to step over on their way to give a speech about the Good Samaritan. Come on, somebody. Come on. And so then that, that was a, it's horrible. It's a horrible setup. All right. It's terrible. But then to make things even more interesting, they said, well, let's, let's see if we can divide them into thirds. And so they told the first third of students, they said, you're already late to give the speech. You need to get on over there. They're waiting for you. You're already late. And to the second group, they told them, you need to hurry over. Or the second group, they told them, you're right on time. Right. You don't you don't have to worry, but you, you do are kind of cutting it close, but you're right on time. Go ahead and head on over. And then to the third group, they told them you have plenty of time. We'll just kind of see you when you get there. So those that were in a big hurry, those that weren't in a hurry at all, and those that felt like they were right on time. And the statistics are fascinating of these seminary students studying to be in the ministry on their way to give a message on the Good Samaritan. How many of them stopped? How many of them stopped to help the person that represented the scenario that they were about to give a message on? Now, the ones that weren't in a hurry at all, only 63% of them stopped. All right, everybody? That's, that's pretty bad, all right? The ones that were not in a hurry, only 60 I wish that was 100%. God helped them. Like, God bless them. Most of them are probably at the end of their ministry now, right? It's pretty old. But 63% of them stopped. So at least a majority, at least a majority stopped. Those that were right on time, 45% of them stopped and asked the person they had to step over who was representing the scenario that they were walking through. Only 45%. Here's the tragedy. For those in a hurry, only 10% stopped. For those in a hurry to get where they needed to go to give a message on the Good Samaritan, only 10% stopped and asked. 10%. And I believe in my heart that that's our problem, church. That's our problem. We're all too busy. We're running too fast. We're too overscheduled. We're living with no margin in our lives. And I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. And you can just listen today. All right, everybody. We're too busy. We're in too much of a hurry. We're too overscheduled. We've got too many things that we want to accomplish to see the need that God has placed around us. To see the people that he sent us, that he wants us to minister to. And we get too focused on our own world and these holy interruptions, these divine appointments don't have any room in our life. These times that God is trying to intersect our lives with somebody else, we just go right on by. We step over that person. Even after we preach a message on the Good Samaritan, even after we hear a message on the Good Samaritan, we'll still step over that person because we've got somewhere to be. We've got somewhere to be. And here's the principle. Jot it down if you're taking notes today. Hurry is the enemy of love. Hurry is the enemy of love. When you're in a hurry, you do not have the capacity to truly love people with the love of God. When you're always in a hurry. And I see it in my own life. About three weeks ago, uh, we cleaned out the front of the church. We kind of moved out all the stuff that we had stored up, all the junk after the flood and construction and all that that we had stored in the front. We got the staff together and we just kind of cleaned it all out. Had a little bit of house cleaning here. It was a really healthy thing to do. And so we put it all out. If you were passing by during that time, you might have seen it all spread out on the lawn. And so I took the next week and I just sold it all. Come on, somebody. We're going to make some money here at the church. So I just sold everything on Craigslist and Marketplace. Uh, and just I had a fun time doing it. Met up with a bunch of people and just sold all the items and just had all those things. And about 30, 35 things that we sold, just a bunch of stuff out there. And so I was telling my wife one night. About two weeks ago, I was telling her about the people that had come on day one, people who had come to buy all the things and I, all the fun I'd had and the people I'd met. And she said, oh, that's really fun. How many did you invite to at the movies? And my head was in the fridge at the time, and I kind of, kind of just tucked it back. And I said, how many did I what? 
And she said, yeah, how many people did you invite? Now, I don't mind confessing to you guys. I confess all the time, right? I'm just, I just, I don't mind it at all. I think it's good for the soul. But you ever have your spouse just convict you? Anybody ever had like your spouse just in just like a sing-song type of happy way? You ever had them just convict you? Because it wasn't like I said, like, oh, I invited half of them. Not a one did I invite to at the movies. Not a one did I give a card and say, hey, I'm the pastor of the church. And I'd love if you came this Sunday and joined us. For that. Not a one. It didn't even cross all this time. I'm busy. I'm selling things. Next person's showing up. I'm doing all those things. Not a one did I think. Now, in my defense, all right, everybody, day two and day three, I don't care if you bought something or not. You got invited to at the movies, all right? You just, I don't care if you tried to lowball me. I'll give you the thing if you promise to come to church. Like, it just, we, we turn things around really quickly. But because we're in a hurry, we don't see the people that God's placed in our life. I'm so busy thinking, well, I got to preach on Sunday. I'm not seeing the people that I should be ministering to in the week. And I think that happens in a hurry is the enemy of love. We just get so busy. We rush past people. Even with my kids, you know, sometimes, right, I don't know if your kids are like mine, but sometimes they're just like, dad, dad, right? They're just going to call you and they got to tell you what happened. Who wronged them? Which kid did what? What kid? And I've got one that just, he's going to give you the eight hour backstory to everything that happened. He just wants to, and it's fairly entertaining when you have the time. It's kind of fun. But when you don't, when you're in a rush, I'm just like, are you, are you breathing and are you bleeding? Like, I just, I'm going to flip a coin and I'm going to blame one of you. Like, this is what's about to happen. Like, I just, I just got, I got to go. And so it's so often we're not able to love the people in our life. We're not able to listen because we're so in a hurry. We're so ready to do what we think we need to do. We're so ready to do that. We got to slow down and give attention to the things that matter. We got to begin to see. And it's fascinating how all of us, myself included, how our church will pray, God, would you send us people? God, would you send us people to impact? God, would you send us people that we can minister to? God, would you send us revival? And here's God's response to that prayer. Watch this in John. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. God is saying, open your eyes. You want to pray prayers like God, send me people. God's like, I have. I've sent you people. It was that annoying person at Walmart checking out your stuff, trying to open up to you. And you were like, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, uh uh-huh, thanks, yeah, bye. It was that person, and God said, I sent them to you. I was trying to send them, you to minister to them, but you didn't have time. And so now i got to send somebody else. You didn't have time to minister. You were on your way somewhere else. You were the priest or the Levite. You were on your way. You didn't have time for them. And I think all of us need to slow down a little bit. we got to open our eyes. We've got to begin to open our eyes because what do you see? What do you see? You've got to keep your eyes open. That thing that happened where you had to go out of your way or that problem that arose, then that way you had to go meet with X, Y, Z or you had to do this thing. It wasn't just a problem that came up in your life. So many times God orchestrates events, but we've got to open our eyes. That you had to go sit at the DMV for four hours or you had to go to this place and you didn't realize that you needed to, but you met someone else. God is orchestrating events if we would open our eyes. Too often we just want to put our head down and just plow right through. We just want to get it over with because we have something great to accomplish. And God is saying, did you see the person I sent? Did you see the person? So once he saw him, once he saw him back to our text, he took pity on him. Second thing that has to happen, number two, jot it down if you're taking notes, is that we have to be sensitive. So it's not enough just to be perceptive. We do have to see, but then we have to be sensitive. Something has to break inside of us when we see that need. It says when he saw the man, when he saw the man's condition, it broke his heart. 
It broke his heart like his heart went out to him. And I wonder how many of us have had our hearts broken for people in the world around us. I've had our hearts broken. Like when's the last time that something or someone kept you awake at night? Not the last argument you had with a person, not, not the, the 20 bucks you missed out on, on that deal or whatever it was, not the thing that you're going to tweet in the morning to the comment that they made to make you look clever and them look dumb. Not, not, not that, not that. When's the last time that you were up at night thinking about someone that had been wronged? Or you shed a tear for something in the world, someone who was taken advantage of? Or your heart broke for other people? When's the last time? And I think it's so easy for us to get callous to the pain in the world. So easy for us just to continue on and because we've seen it before, we just kind of pass over it. This is the trail of blood. There's blood on the walls. People get ambushed every day. I'm just going to pass on by. This kind of thing happens every day. It's so easy to become callous and I think it's so important to be sensitive to the needs of people that our heart would break for them. That we would see people as God sees them. That the Lord could change our heart. We would pray prayers like, Lord, break my heart. For those who are in need, break my heart for those who need the love of Christ. But even that's not enough. Verse 34, kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his donkey and walked along beside him till they came to an inn where he nursed him through the night. Once we have the right perspective, we see what's going on and our hearts are open to it. We're, we're perceptive and we're, we're just we're sensitive to what's happening then we have to actually do something. We have to be responsive. Jot it down if you're taking notes. We need to be responsive. We have to take a step to make a difference in their life. It's what we're called to as the church. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to be aware, but in our actions to be apathetic. To be aware of the need, but then to be apathetic in what we do. We see it and we care about it. And then we say things like the church ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to do something about that. And what we mean when we say that, right, is not us. Come on, please, Lord, not me. But somebody ought to somebody. I don't know who, but somebody needs to do something about that. We all believe that we ought to witness to people throughout the week. We all believe that we ought to staff the soup kitchens and we ought to clothe the homeless and we ought to get people out of addictions and we ought to get them into detox. We all believe that we all believe that things need to happen, but none of us want to give up a vacation day to make it happen. Got quiet in here this Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. It, it, we, none of us want to make it happen. We don't want to miss the day at the lake. We're not going to miss the things we think. We just think somebody else ought to do it. And I don't mean that in a condemning way. I just mean that I believe God orchestrates these, inter, these divine interactions, these intersections of our life with others that we have to be open to, ready to respond to. We have to open our hearts to the fact that God will actually use us to make a difference. That we can't say it's somebody else's job. We can't say somebody else should respond there. God is using us. We have to open our hearts to that. And I would venture to say that all of us see different things. That when maybe you look at our city or at our culture, our world today, that maybe your heart breaks for the the leadership gap. And maybe your heart breaks for, for filling that in people's lives. And maybe your heart breaks for those who are struggling. And maybe at Christmas time, your heart goes out to those who are very, very poor and they can't make ends meet. For Christmas, or maybe your heart goes out to the homeless, or maybe for those that are having difficulty in their marriages, or those who are in broken homes, maybe your heart breaks for those. I would believe that all of us see something different, something different in the world, or maybe your, your heart is out for children that are taken advantage of, or your heart is out to those who are, who are struggling in this world. Though you have a heart for those people, and I would submit to you that maybe the reason that you see it and that your heart breaks for it is an indication that you should be the one to respond to it. 
The fact that you see it, if you've ever talked with somebody about a passion or a ministry idea you had, and you thought, why why don't they have the same passion that I have for this? No, no, no. The reason probably that you have your heart breaking for that is an indication that God wants you to respond to it. That God wants you to do something. All of us would see something different. Instead of thinking it's somebody else's job, we need to follow the words of Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it. When it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Well, that's going to convict somebody this morning. That convicted me when I read it yesterday. This is, don't say to your neighbor, come back another time when it's in your power to help them. And some of you, you'll read this verse and you, I love it because you'll read it and you'll say, aha, it says to those who deserve it. And to my neighbor, don't withhold. But you don't know my boss at work. And you don't know the kind of people that work in the cubicle next to me. And you don't know the homeless bum that I pass on my way every day. You don't know. What do they deserve? You want Jesus' answer to that question is they deserve exactly what you do. They deserve the same love and the same grace and the same mercy from God that you've received. Jesus spoke about this, not only in the Good Samaritan, about who is my neighbor, but he also spoke about what we should do to those who hate. And he wrote this, watch this, in Matthew. He said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor. You've heard the law that says that if it's your enemy, then you're off the hook. But I tell you, watch this in the next verse, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So when they bring up this idea of the Good Samaritan, well, who is my neighbor? They're coming from this verse of, well, if it's your neighbor, don't withhold from them. And if it's someone who deserves it, then give them what you have in your hand to give them. Jesus said, I'm calling you to love everyone. Even the person that hates you, even the Samaritan who loves this man who is mugged, even, even these people, I'm calling you to love everyone. Even the person who has a different theological or political view than you. Come on, somebody. Even the person that disagrees with you, even the person that hates you and persecutes you, he say, I'm calling you to love them. I'm commanding you to love them. That you're God's hands and feet to them in that place where you live, in that place where God has placed you. That you're the, you're the emblem, you're the God's love to that person. Calling you to love them. But I want you to know when we do, there's always a cost. When we do, there's always a cost. He puts the man on his own donkey, going back to Luke 10. Put him on his own donkey, walked along beside him till they came to an inn where he nursed him through the night. So he inconveniences his own time. He inconveniences his own journey, wherever he's on the way to. Inconvenience all of that, his own finances, his own whatever it was. He gave up all of that to help the man who was in need. Every time we help. There's always a cost, and too often, myself included, we're not willing to pay the price. Too often we see the need, too often we're willing to to be sensitive, to look beneath the surface, but we're not willing to pay the price. And there's always a price, and it's different every time. Every time God calls you to a certain scenario or a certain person, the cost is always different. Sometimes it'll cost you finances, sometimes it will cost you time, sometimes it will cost you, come on somebody, a little bit of your feelings about the situation. It costs you a little bit of ego, a little bit of pride. Sometimes it'll cost you. Like I remember about, I'd say eight or nine years ago, we took about a year, a year and a half, and we did a homeless Bible study on Tuesday mornings downtown, kind of near St. Vincent de Paul out on 3rd Street. And so we would do a homeless Bible study. 
And every week we would go out with donations from the church and a little bit of food and these things. And we'd gather them together and have a, a ladies and a men's Bible study. And on the men's side of things, uh, there were some regulars who would come every week. And we got a chance to talk with them. But there was one guy who would come and he would show up and we'd have the clothes laid out. And we never had anything that would fit him. And so you kind of look through those and then he'd stay for the food. And he never said anything. You could talk to him, but he would just kind of, kind of nod his head. You could tell he just wanted to go, right? He just wanted to get out of there. And we never had anything that would fit him. And it turned December, January that year. And it was a really cold year. I just remember it was a lot colder than it normally was. And so we got up on that Sunday and we said, hey, we just need some coats for you guys to donate. And we're going to take them all downtown and we're going to give out coats. And it's going to be an awesome time. And so we kind of brought those in and we went out downtown and we handed them out. And for whatever reason, that Tuesday, that guy was late. And so he missed the coat give out. And so when he got there, all of the coats were gone. And so I was kind of talking with him after we had given the Bible study and the food and things. And I was trying to like just share with him a little bit. And you could tell more than you, he just wanted to go. There's no coats, right? There's nothing. He just wanted to get around. And I heard God say in my spirit, give him your coat. And my first thought was, Lord, please, no. Like, Lord, I don't want to do that, please. I just, I don't want to give. Because let me tell you a secret. I'm not getting any, any rewards in heaven for this, all right? all right? I just want to put that out there right at the beginning of the story. Lest you think that this is some look at me, how great this is type of story. I don't get any rewards for this thing. Because I have a problem with coats, all right? I have a problem where I cannot find coats that fit correctly. I just, I cannot find some. They don't zip right. They kind of pouch out at the middle. They just don't. They're not too long, too short, too cold, too hot. I just, I have a problem with coats. But this coat I loved. This coat I had found, it was, I bought it at Bass Pro. It was my favorite coat. It fit right. I just liked this coat. And confession's good for the soul. It's bad for the reputation. All right, everybody. I had a backup coat that I would wear to outreaches. Come on, somebody. It's going to dawn on you what I'm saying in just a second. I had coat number two. And two years of winter, every time we went to a homeless outreach, I would wear coat number two. Just in case God told me to give my coat away to somebody who needed a coat. Every time we did something at the church, every time we went on a mission trip, I would wear coat number two and I would be ready. Come on, somebody. I'm ready. Lord, speak to me to give away this coat. I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. Whatever you say, I'll do, Lord. I'll pay the price. So I had coat number two. But for the first Tuesday in two years, for whatever reason, I had coat number one on. And God, in his divine humor, in his divine plan, decided that was the Tuesday to say, give him your coat. And I thought, Lord, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to give him my coat. Lord, what else do you want? Just give me another list. Give me plan A, plan B, plan C. You want me to sing louder at church? You want me to go on a mission trip? What do you want, Lord? I'll I'll do whatever else you want me to do. Just, I don't want to do this. Lord, what else do you want from me? Anything. And I felt God say, no, I want you to give him your coat. And I took it off after some more reluctance and I gave it to him. And I, I promise you, I get no rewards from this in heaven. The only reward I get is I get to use it as a sermon illustration. All right. That's about the extent of that. But this man who had not said anything in response for almost a year and a half, who didn't say anything back, this man on that Tuesday morning, he broke down and he cried. And he talked about how he had shut God out and how he was coming back now and he wanted to change his life. And he shared that thing with me that this is something, this man I hadn't heard say more than four words this entire time began to share what God is doing in his life. And this wasn't some incredible thing where I, I just was able to just turn everything around. No, he went on his way, but I was able to tell him that God loved him, that God had a plan for him. 
That God had purpose in his life, that he still had something for him to do, that God still loved him and cared about him. I was able to have that moment. But how many of those moments have I missed? How many of those interactions have I walked right on by? How many times have I out-argued myself from the situation because I didn't want to pay the cost? How many times have I not wanted to give up the 10 minutes? And I'm telling you, church, I'm preaching to myself this morning. How many times have I not wanted to give up the 10 or 15 minutes it would take to minister to that person because I didn't want to have the time? I had somewhere to be. I had some lofty, great goal God had given me to go and do, and I couldn't see that person. I couldn't minister to that person. I couldn't give up the time or the opportunity. It's always going to cost you something. What are we willing to give up to love others? Not coat number two, but coat number one. What are we willing to sacrifice? Because God will move you and there's always a sacrifice attached. We have to be ready for it. We have to be responsive to the people around us. We have to be the good Samaritan in our worlds. It's the life that I'm trying to lead you to as your pastor. It's the life that I believe God has called us to live. And here's God's promise to you in Isaiah as we close. He says, if you'll spend yourself on behalf of the hungry... And satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noonday. Watch this. The Lord will guide you always. And satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Listen to me, church. So many of you. We're coming to the end of this year and we're beginning to, to cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm dry in this area. Lord, my spiritual life, I'm stagnated in my walk with you. And we're crying out and we're waiting for God to do something for us. And God's looking at us, waiting for us to do something for someone else. Tell you, you think your devotions, you've stalled or maybe your, your time with the Lord just feels dry or you're not able to just enter in and you feel like something's wrong. How you treat the people in your world, God's waiting for you to be a light. Another part of that verse, it says you cannot live as you do today. Treat others the way that you do and expect your prayer to be heard on high. Church, that's a hard verse. But we are called as the body of Christ. We are called to love those that God brings into our world. We're called to reach out and to minister to those that he's called us to be. We're called to be the good Samaritan in the circle, in the place that he's placed us. Along the path, going on a journey, going to do a business deal, doing whatever it is, wherever we're going. This week, God is going to bring people along our path. People that we'd have to step over to try to get to where we're going. That God is calling us to see and to minister to. And church, that's the life that I'm trying to lead you to. It's the life God has called us to live. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts for the world around us. God, I pray right now that you would begin to move our hearts to love those that you love. That as Christ's followers, we would begin to see people to love. Not a problem to avoid, but people to really and truly love with the love of Christ. God, we know there are broken people along our path every day. That there are holy and divine interruptions that you bring to our life. Make us aware of them. God, I pray you would lift the scales from our busy eyes. Help us to see. Break our hearts, Lord. Help us to love people, not to rush by them. Help us to work hurry out of our lives that we can truly love people. 
And I want to just take a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to speak to some of you who are here today. And honestly, you're not in any position to help someone else. Because to be honest with you, you're the person on the side of the road. You're the person who's been beat up and abused and bleeding and you're hurting. And maybe it's religion that puts you there. Maybe it was a Christian or a person that calls himself a follower of Christ that took advantage of you or that mistreated you. Or that pushed you away and now your heart is closed to the gospel and to the love of Christ and you just feel burned out. And maybe that's you today and you're far from God. And I just want you to know that that was a misrepresentation of the gospel. That wasn't God that treated you like that. That was people. And I want you to know that God still loves you. That God still wants you. That God has purpose for you. I want you to know that none of it begins until you have a relationship with him. And so if that's you today, if you came in here and you felt like the man who was on the side of the road, you feel beaten and broken and taken advantage of, if that's you, let's settle that today. You feel like God is a million miles away. Let's settle that today. Because I promise you, he's close. I promise you, he loves you. I promise you, he wants you. And he still wants you. And so if you say, that's me, I want to settle that in my heart today. If you say, pray with me, I want to make it right. I want to have a relationship with him. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you a simple prayer. To make it right. I want to pray with you a simple prayer to start a relationship with him. Or maybe at one time in your life, you were close to God. But now you've wandered. I want you to know he still wants you. And so if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer right where you are. If come on, church, we're going to pray it with them. Nobody prays alone. But if that's you, I want you to say these words and mean them in your heart. That you can make it right with God right now. Don't let another day go past. Let today be the day you make that decision. So every head bowed, let's pray this prayer. Come on, church. Say these words, dear Jesus. Forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, I thank you for every person here. Lord, we thank you for all the different gifts and talents that are displayed in the church. God, that you would use every person as they go out into the world to be a light for you. God, that we would see people to be loved. God, that even this week you would send holy and divine interruptions. God, that we would not be so focused on what we want to accomplish, but we would see that the harvest is there. That we would see that there are people who are hurting that we can minister to. Father, we thank you for in advance, God, for the amazing things you're going to do through our lives. We thank you for in advance for the people that we're going to reach. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Lord, 
Lord, use us to spread the gospel. Use us to build the kingdom. And go with us as we go. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said, Amen and Amen. Can you give God praise for what He's done today? Come on, church. Church, be blessed as you go. Open your eyes this week. We'll see you next Sunday for part two.